The International IVF Initiative is a worldwide non-profit education project for the assisted reproductive technologies community, sharing scientific and practical knowledge for embryologists, reproductive scientists and anyone working in the ART community. Each episode will share an insight into the world of IVF, along with profiles of legends within the world of ART, latest news and wisdom from our community. Here's your host, Giles Palmer. Welcome to another i3 podcast, and we're going to be having snippets from our after parties. After each webinar, we all get together and we comment on the session that's been. It's a great way for you to hear what our panelists think and to hear more of their wisdom on the topics discussed. This is from our more or less session, which was all about timings specific to lab events. Are they important or not? We had an expert group of embryologists talking about specific acts which we do in the lab and to see if they're related to either fertilization or to IVF success. We start off hearing from Trisha Adams. She spoke in the webinar about the poster presentation which she gave and this was all about how long it takes each embryologist to do a specific task whether they're experienced or whether they're a novice. Thank you, one and all. Well, we are busy usually, but that was one of the busiest ones. And the, we're just saying to Marianne here, um, we, were, we were flooded with questions, weren't we? That was, that was great. Yeah, we haven't had that many questions in a while. It was, yeah, so much interest. Yeah, really, it was great. Fantastic, fantastic presentations. Trisha, I like the way that you teased everyone <laughs> and then you put the, uh, you know, the values up at the end. That was fantastic. That was, yeah. uh, that was that was really interesting, um, <laughs> and it is it's it's opening up these questions about um, uh, you know like time and motion and you know um, seeing how long each embryologist does take. I should mention that like in Amazon they have a they've now patented like a wrist band and it helps them to locate a package. Okay, in the yeah. in the warehouse, but all the unions have got up by saying don't follow us around uh you know this is like invasion <laughs> on our privacy but it could work very well in the competence testing of course couldn't it and it would be interesting to see you know the movement around the labs and how how people go so that's a very interesting you know piece of work that you've started and i'm sure it won't be the last <laughs> no and it, and it was interesting to see uh the difference between everyone and i didn't want to show the data at the beginning i didn't want people to get hung up on comparing the times between ICSI and the different groups at the beginning until we were able to explain, you know, what we're using this for instead of just, you know, time to ICSI and things like that. I was at Stanford a couple of years ago in Barry Bear's lab and uh, the university there, the, the physicians and the lab director have to wear, I think the nurses wear um, these name tags and you can <laughs> see them on a monitor of where they are. And one of the first things they had to do was basically block off the bathrooms so that you couldn't, you couldn't see that Dr. Baird in the bathroom. And how long has he been in the bathroom? <laughs> the physicians and the people are in the clinic at any, any given time. I mean, I've heard about these tracking devices. Yeah, you know, they have there. And, uh, and I think they're all over the hospital, aren't they? Yeah. But, uh, you know, it is interesting to see how it goes. I don't know how many of you were on our network session where we had a very interactive virtual landscape where we could move around a lab, okay, and we'll be doing that again. But if you weren't involved in the last network session, you should be, because that was really interesting. If any of you got kids and they play like a game called Among Us, where they've got these little <laughs> little like figures that go around. That's how we were. Um, exactly. I think as sensors get smaller and smaller, you know, we are going to be able to, um, you know, 
precisionly time all these all these things you know it started with you know rfid tax but it still comes down to sticking things on 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 dishes isn't it which we have to change eventually don't we i saw that you like that topic beck yeah i tried all the three different witnessing systems that were commercially available in the us so i feel like i i know them pretty well and yeah the timestamp aspect is is controversial i think i definitely within our lab People want to see it, but they don't want to see it. Yeah. So <laughs> well, I think the best way for me to approach it with, with the, my lab is that, you know, these things just happen in the background and they don't need to know how much we look into it. Um, and, you know, until they get a little bit more comfortable with that. But Good, I, I love the idea of using it as a tool, especially for competencies and for training, just and to see those, those improvements. Because I think as we train a junior, we don't feel the improvements as much as we we can visually see them. So we know that that person is still taking a lot of time to 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 cut the eggs or put the eggs away, strip the eggs. Then seeing the timestamps, I think, is is much more validating to them and yeah, to the cleaner yeah. as well. And there's always been with electronic witnessing. There's always been the background anyway, like this traceability. So you know how many procedures an embryologist is doing mm-hmm. so that's always been there hasn't it anyway you know yeah. so you can see someone's doing more egg collections whatever and that's a positive thing as well so that could be seen as that as well couldn't it i mean to elaborate on what chelsea had said earlier is that it, it all depends on how you present it to the team if it's presented in a positive way and and that no one needs to be afraid of of their timing and things like that and that it's a tool for improvement for everyone i, I think that that would help you're still going to have some people i think that maybe against it um but I, I still think it's how you present the tool yeah and i think a good comment was that it's sometimes better than having someone standing over you yes you know in a way um and and there's always going to be times where there's going to be a difficult egg collection or a difficult you know a difficult ICSI. so you know um it's all about creating this team and as you say if it's all positive and it's and if it's put in that way then i can't see a problem really We've actually been able to use it for uh, difficult, um, say difficult sperm cases, say a tessie where you have to search for sperm for a long time. And we've been able to measure the length of time that it, it took to search for sperm, you know, and that, that aids in um, explaining what goes on within, within that fertilization and what happens in that situation. And I presume that you can have competency also with, you know, with a gynecologist or the REA, REI, as you say, so you could have them to see how, how quick they are doing egg collections as far as yield, perhaps as well. No, the is only thing done? we monitor for that is how late they are to the retrievals. Yeah. Okay, well, that's okay. That's well, that we've used in the network. Slap their hand. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We've oh, used yeah. it before. Oh, this retrieval started at this time, but. But like you always know who it's going to be. So, you you know, you sort of allow for that, don't you? That's the thing. You say, that, you know, this person's never, never going to be here on time. So, yes. you know, that's a, that's a so safe true. Yeah. yeah. And for FETs as well, for transfers, I think that's where we struggle mm-hmm. personally in my clinic is, you know, the physicians are pretty good about the retrieval times, but then when it comes to transfers, it's very loosey-goosey, which we know doesn't probably have a huge impact on, on their outcome, but it certainly has an impact on the embryologist today because we can be hanging around waiting for them right. for, to come and do their transfer. And, you know, if you're using isolates, that means that vital piece of equipment is taken up with waiting for a transfer. So I think their timing there would be something I would definitely want to present to 
um, my physicians. And then after like the freezing, obviously would happen after the transfer if you had spare embryos. So, mm. you know, you may be waiting for the transfer to get on with that, you know. Yeah, for fresh transfers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or exactly. I've had yeah. physicians be so late, an hour, hour and a half late for a transfer. You could biopsy two patients in that amount of time. That's, That's what's so really frustrating. frustrating. You don't even want to start, right? Because if you start and get pulled away. Yeah. Yep. I, I have a couple of times just said, they'll have to come, they'll, I've been in, in the middle of stripping and I said, well, I've waited half an hour. You'll have to wait 15 minutes now while I strip, sorry. This is taking a dangerous turn, isn't it? This conversation. I know, I was gonna say, <laughs> but put, it's, it's, put it's that sound bite, take, put that sound bite on the webpage and it'll be the <laughs> most downloaded webinar in history. <laughs> well, there we are, don't worry, it's, it's all on the podcast. Don't worry about that. Uber, how do you like the um, uh, the webinar? Was there any questions you, you thought uh, were interesting that i mean there was there was so many there oh it was uh, interesting questions and i liked it that i have attended some i think it's a very interesting format and again thank you for for giving such a if you like like an an unbiased talk we appreciate that because i mean it's often of course contention if you should use it or not but i think you gave a great overview of that it was asked not to talk about the product itself so i, I tried to to do that <laughs> That must have been hard. <laughs> well, you can let rip now if you want to, you know. You're free to oh, say no. everyone now, you see, that's the thing. Oh, it's no problem. But what's the situation in the UK about using it? Because they have the you know, they have the red lights, don't they? They have this hmm. system. And how does that affect you? Well, it, it raises some uh, discussion internally, of, of course, because on the one hand, you have Cochrane reports who conclude that there is a benefit uh, and then you have HFEA saying there is not enough evidence. So it's not always easy to understand why they draw that conclusion. Could it be that if you did it, but you didn't pay for it? Because perhaps some clinics actually, uh, you know, have a special cost, an extra cost, which I can't see the benefit in that, to be honest, doing that. But I think perhaps they're, you know, behind all that is, is they don't want that to... Um, be an additional cost either you use it because you think you know you believe it that can be part of it because that differs between european countries and some countries clinics can charge more in other countries uh, where it's fully reimbursed you, you cannot and i don't know uk's particularly but uh, as there is a difference between nhs and, and private clinics i could imagine such differences Giles, that's a great point. We, because that, that has come up uh, in the US when they were trying to do time lapse with a per cycle cost. And our response, I, I think I saw this question on the QA form, which is if, if Hyronin was better, why isn't it universally used? We do use it universally. So if it's better, uh, I don't know how we could justify not using it. And so that's how we kind of addressed it. Then um, you roll it into your cost and everybody gets it if it's better. And, uh, you know, so I guess similar approach there to this kind of fee for service. I, my opinion is that absolutely is what um, probably throws up those red flags. And if you use it across the board, you could at least try to address that, that criticism. Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, you know, like I said, if you believe in it, then, then you should use that and that, you know, and not sort of crank up the cost for that. It's got the best name ever, Uber. I think your marketing guys came up chumps with that. <laughs> and it's on a lot of price, you know, ledger with that name on it, with that trade name on there. And, I, you know, I think it's irresistible, isn't it, really? Mm -hmm. Some people who are good at those things, 
<laughs> it would never get to the FDA anymore. They uh, they're sticklers for that stuff now. We have to think of synonyms, but it's not but there's not many synonyms. That's the thing, you know. Anything else to add about the blastocyst debate? I mean, that, you know, that was fantastic. I mean, we're learning more and more about that as we're going along, and and it's just strange to see how 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 people are doing are doing different things, isn't it? I, I think you know, checking later in the day is something that always comes up with us, and I think the bigger labs just have a hard time going back, um, time-lapse addresses that uh, very nicely because uh, you can just look at the video and pull them out later in the day if, if you've got the ability and the people free to do it. But for those of us who, who don't adopt time-lapse, you know, you're grabbing them in the morning. We try to do it later in the morning to give them as much opportunity as possible. But, uh, you know, most of us don't have the ability to go back at one o'clock or two o'clock to look at freezing a day five blast. And, and we would be we would be uh, motivated to do that because our data says that a day five blast assist euploid uh, still gives us a slightly better outcome than a day six euploid, which you know I think makes sense um, from from a couple uh, perspectives. But yeah, we we usually then go to day six just because of timing and manpower and, and workflow. Do you do shifts or any kind of staggered time in your labs? If I could just go through each one of you, you know, is there any time that you do? Some people, you know turn up later and, and, and leave later, so go uh, earlier? We do know? that in, in our lab and we're, we're small, but so we have someone come in early and um, get everything prepared and do QC and all of that. And, and it's only for us an hour, hour and a half difference. And then that person leaves and the other person stays late to finish up anything. So we do do that here. We do similar. But um, just by 30 minutes, we have a 6.30 person, two 6.30 people come in to do QA, uh, QC, and then get all the media and stuff and isolates on, and then they leave the 30 minutes earlier. Not a significant difference. But something might, we might have to change as our days get longer with more retrievals. You know, those, those later people are going to be staying to do later ICSIs. Unless we go with Denny's data, in which case everything's just, we can do an, anything between an hour and six and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get yeah. that by my corporate lab director, though. <laughs> it's a hard nut to quit. <laughs> I'll just want to mention, when I worked in Brussels, I was making the schedule and there was like a gap of three hours between the first people that would start and, and the last people. And they would also stay later. Yeah. That's why our, our biggest, our Denver lab does it, especially really primarily on the, the large retrieval days where there's 11, 12, 13 retrievals. They'll have somebody come in several hours later um, and stay into the night uh, to try to stagger it. And then obviously uh, try to buy that person donuts or goodies to, uh, to compensate them for their, their long evening. So if you'd like to watch the webinar in full, the details will be on the show notes. So next up, you'll hear about the after-party conversation from our Mighty Molecules webinar all about biomarkers and exosomes in assisted reproduction. We had the leaders of their field talking about this topic, which is growing every day, and a very interesting conversation which veered off track, talking about giant pandas and the discussion about artificial insemination, which successfully took place recently. Excellent. Thank you very much, everybody. Great job. Uh, did you enjoy it? 
Welcome to one. Was it good? Yeah. I, I think it was a good experience for the first time. You know, we do this every week almost. So, so you're welcome again. Yeah, fantastic. You stole the show. You're, uh, you could do a Super Bowl, I think, after this. <laughs> yeah, at least the Super Bowl, yes. <laughs> Ex- at least, at least. Exactly, yeah. Super Bowl for a French person does not ring a bell much. Not really, <laughs> but it's got, it's got the gift of the gab, as we say. <laughs> Obviously, it was great that we saw Islam. That was fantastic. And there were so yeah, many questions right. that he had as well. So... Marc Antoine, do you you know you know Eddie, right? Uh, I actually I, I'm I know him a bit because I supported him for a silver medal at the French Academy of Agriculture. Oh wow! Okay, so but you will be able to tell him that uh, his presentation was well received. But, and... Yeah, I will. Of course, you know he had a wingman who's in fact working with Culture Medium, of course, but he came down with COVID, so you know obviously we couldn't include him in the tour, which is a shame. There's just a tremendous amount of work going on, isn't there? Yeah, yep. that's crazy. And you know that uh, I, I don't even know if we had the opportunity to mention that, but now there, there is the International Society for Extracellular Vesicles. Wow. And, uh, and they had to, no, but because it's been an explosion, you know, in that area, everybody was isolating uh, extracellular vesicles or thinking that they were, iso- so they came up with standards and standard of operating procedures to make sure that what you report is really like an extracellular vesicle and not something else. And now, most of the time, when you publish something about extracellular vesicle, you need to make sure that show that you followed really the the standard procedure for extraction, identification, and stuff like that. Oh, I didn't. I didn't realize they got a whole society on that. Have you worked with Thomas then? Thomas no, kept... looked look, look after me for ten months. He was. Oh, I see. Um, well, that, well, that explains a few things. We're okay, very, got you. We're very good friends. We had a fantastic time. Yeah, it was a, it was a great time. I bet you did. Pierre, what is about the panda? Tell us. Tell us all about that. I wish we could isolate some extracellular vesicles from, from the uterus in the panda to try to understand the embryo, embryonic diapause. We think, we think embryonic diapause is probably regulated by some kind of extracellular vesicles, but uh, it's, uh, it's very difficult to, uh, to study, unfortunately, and uh, especially in the giant panda where, um, well, we are pretty limited in what we can do uh, on those animals. But... Uh, Right now, at least we know that uh, after artificial insemination, even with frozen sperm, we can get babies. So that's the most important. How it happens, well, who knows? But uh, it happens. <laughs> we had a really interesting session on on diapause, which I find interesting. I didn't realize that pandas do that as well, but I yeah. suppose in the dense habitat that they that they possess perhaps that's an evolutionary yeah yeah out. because because they, the 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 timing of the of the birth is really connected to really the availability of uh, resources you know during the birth for to make sure the mother is going to be able to find enough food and after that to uh, to nurse the baby because they stay with the baby for a long, very long time, more than a year and a half. So the, the pandas that we have now, they, they have to go back to China because they are old and they've they've done their service to to the nation. <laughs> so it's it's time to for them to go back to China and to retire. And uh, well, we will resume the artificial insemination with new pandas, but we don't know when we're going to have a, a new couple. It's too early to know right now. The pandas belong to the Chinese state, yeah? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and all the research 
has to go through them. Is that correct? Yeah. The research can be published without them. It's uh, it's uh, it's fine. But uh, the adults belong to China, and whenever there is a baby, the baby is automatically also automatically belongs to China. So we we don't really own any, and we pay we pay a rent actually for uh, for those animals. That's what I heard, and I heard it was a million. Is that correct? What is it? Well, it depends. <laughs> it depends where you are in the world. For the United States, yes, it's one million dollar per year. But uh, I assume that for my colleagues in in Thailand or in Japan, it's probably a little bit cheaper. But since it's a rich country, so we are we, we pay a higher rent. But I imagine it's wonderful working with these animals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's very stressful. Seriously, yeah, I know that it, they are beautiful, but it's very stressful because. Uh, if we if we make a mistake, then after that it's uh, it's it would be like a, you know a political clash between the U.S. And, and China. So we have to be extremely careful. So that's why investigation like uh, oh let's try to to flush the uterus of the female to collect some fluid and <laughs> and check if there is extra. No, we're not we're not going to do that for sure. And you've been over to China, have you? Yeah, you travel, been, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, not over the past uh, two year and a half now, but uh, yes, of course. You know, always is fascinating. We go from diapause to pandas to <laughs> uterine lavages. It's yeah, you know, it's amazing. This is what we do. Listen, thank you all very much. Then I'll, I shall let you yeah. go. Thank you. Right. You guys did a great job. It was really mm-hmm. good. We got good numbers. We got fantastic questions. Let's do this again. Yeah, perfect. Thank you as always for listening. Please do take a moment to rate and review this podcast to let others know it's worth a listen. Be sure to visit ivfmeeting.com where you can watch our back catalogue of webinars. Plus you can sign up for future ones, download our electronic membership card and find all our social media so we can stay in touch.